Good morning, River Rock Bible Church. How's everybody doing this morning? That's great bumper music. I love that. Give me some loving. We are continuing our series today on sex and God's design for sex. We started last week by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, and, and we reminded ourselves that our body belongs to God, so what we do with it matters because he owns it. Uh, he tells us that your body is not your own. You were bought at a price, and therefore we want to honor God with our bodies. If we're not married, that means abstaining from sex outside of a biblical marriage, which God defines as one man and one woman committed to a lifetime together. Anything outside of that, we, we said, qualifies as sexual immorality, and Scripture tells us to flee from that, so we want to flee from that, Uh, and that includes things like pornography, that includes sex before marriage, that includes all the things that we discussed last week, and uh, we're going to continue this week by speaking to married couples. We're going to talk about what Satan, uh, the lie that Satan is telling married couples, what he wants you to think. Now, let me ask you, how many in this room, how many right now are married? Raise your hand. All right, how many of you, keep your hands up if you're married, how many of you hope someday to be married? All right, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much everybody. Now, how many of you uh, plan on cheating on your spouse? Nobody. That's amazing. That's, that's amazing to me because, you see, uh, the most recent studies show that 50% of men and 42% of women will commit adultery. They will cheat on their spouse. Yet no one in this room raised their hand, and said that they were planning on it. Today, we are going to be talking about adultery. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5, and it's in a, a proverb that's entirely devoted to this, this issue of adultery. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen that, that uh, you know, nobody plans on committing adultery, and either you're, you're lying, um, or you have an enemy named Satan who's whose sole purpose, his sole desire is to steal, kill, and destroy everything that is important to the heart of God, including your marriage. Uh, And he wants to devastate, he wants to devastate godly marriages. And so we're going to continue our series. We're going to be looking at the lies of Satan, what he's telling married couples. And I want to remind us of our key thought from our series, that is that great and godly sex starts in the heart and in the mind before it happens in the bedroom. That means we have to have a right heart attitude and a right mindset towards the Word of God and what God's Word says about sex and sexuality before we can have great sex in the bedroom with our spouse, right? Amen? All right, so we are going to be talking about that this morning, and I just want to remind us of a couple of verses from John eight forty four. This is what Jesus says about Satan. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he has not stood in the truth. Continuing on, he goes on and he says, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, because he is a liar and is the father of lies. So when we hear what Satan is telling us, we can, we can know that it is a lie. But then Jesus says this about himself in chapter 8, verse 32, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, what does it say? Free. The truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. And so we are going to be looking into his word today to tell us what the truth is about what we as married couples should believe. And before we do that, let me tell you, the very first lie that the enemy wants you to believe is this. Whether you're married or single, he wants you to believe that you are missing out. Satan wants you to believe that you are missing out, that there's something better out there, that the grass is greener in somebody else's yard, that there is something better out there than the spouse that you have. There's something better than waiting for your spouse. That's the big lie that we're seeing in our culture today and that he's telling us. But 
this entire proverb that we're going to look at today is devoted to talking about this issue of adultery. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. It says, Though the lips are of a forbidden woman drip honey, her words are smooth than oil. It goes on and says, In the end, she is as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. So what he's saying here is, look, hey, her, her words drip honey. Her lips look like they're covered in oil, meaning that it looks sweet, it looks enticing, but it's not. And the reality is this, that there is going to be something that's going to come along in your life at some point or another that is going to entice you and tempt to pull you away from your spouse. That's just the reality, that there is plenty of stuff out there to tempt you to pull you away from your spouse. And for some of you, it may be your sex life. You may be married and you think, you know, when I pictured getting married as a young adult, as a teenager, I thought my sex life would be more exciting than this. I thought things would, would be a little bit more passionate than this, but it's, it's the same approach, the same technique, the same everything, every single time, and, and it's just plain, boring, vanilla sex life as a married couple. And Satan's going to come along and say, you know what, maybe if it were someone else, it would be a little bit different. Or maybe if you introduced this into your marriage, it would be a little bit different. And for some of you, it's not, it's not a physical thing. It's not a physical uh, attraction, but maybe it's emotionally. Maybe it's someone coming along, the thought gets planted in your head, you know what, he never listens to me. He never listens to me. We never talk about my feelings and what I'm thinking. And, and you know what, if, if I bet there's someone else out there that they would listen to me, that they would want to hear about my interests, they would want to hear about all the things that I'm going through, and then that seed is planted that there's something else out there. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be very careful. For men, men are visually stimulated, and so it's a lot easier for men to be pulled away by something like pornography, especially with the availability that it, that it has on the internet. But there have been a number of studies that show, ladies, when you watch those romantic comedies, or you read those romantic novels, or you watch those TV shows, and you know what they do where they take, uh, take a woman and put her inside of a man's body? So you have this man that, like, thinks and acts and talks like a woman, and everybody's like, oh, I wish I had that. And like, well, you can't, right? That's not reality. Men just don't do that, all right? And what they've shown is that when women watch these uh, romantic comedies, like, you know, whatever's out there, they watch these shows, and they watch, they read these books, the same part of their brain is stimulated as when a man watches pornography. What happens is you begin to fantasize about your husband being Ryan Gosling in The Notebook, right? Or whatever, the, I don't know what, this, that's probably the last romantic comedy I've watched. You can pray for my wife. She didn't get to watch those very often. We watched a lot of Rocky at our house. Um, so the idea is this, that we have got to be on guard. We've got to be on the lookout. And there's two key words in this chapter that are going to help us understand what is right and what is wrong, what God desires for us versus what the enemy desires for us. And those two words are this, Ravah and Shagah. All right, those are Hebrew words, but I want you to say them with me. Say Ravah and Shagah. Good, Ravah and Shagah. Ravah, we read this in verses 18 and 19. It says this, Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful fawn, let her breast satisfy you always. Be lost in her love forever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Men, can I get an amen on that verse 19 right there? All right, my wife, she's going to be embarrassed that I tell you this, but I started the practice of reading through one proverb a day, uh, every day, uh, 
because there's 31 Proverbs, right? So if you read one a day, then every month you just get to start over. Uh, and if there's only 30 days, then you just go back to one. So on the fifth day of every month, I send her a text. I'm like, hey, Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. She's like, is that about boobs? Uh, I'm like, no, it's about being captivated in your love forever. But yes, that is about breasts and, and I love you, right? And she's like, I can't, you know, if she could do a face palm, I don't know if there's an emoji for that, but uh, she would probably do that. And let me just say that this is a great thing. Here's the idea. He says this. He says, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your, lo- your youth, a loving to a graceful fawn. Let, let her breast satisfy you always. Satisfy you. Rava. Rava means to satisfy, to bathe, to make drunk, to fulfill, to be overwhelmed with satisfaction. That is God's desire for you with your spouse in your marriage, that you would be overwhelmed, that you would be satisfied, that you would be fulfilled. And then he goes on in verse 20, and he says this, why, my son, would you be what? What is that word there? infatuated. Some translations may say captivated. Why, my son, would you be infatuated with a forbidden, forbidden woman or embrace the breast of a stranger? He says, why would you be captivated? And that word that he uses there is shagah. Shagah is the idea of straying from the path, that you're wandering, that you're meandering, that you're getting off the path. And in Hebrew, what I love about Hebrew is that their one word is like a, an entire paragraph or picture. They're painting in a, a picture with this one word. And the word shagah means to wander. The idea is this, that you would wander off the path like a sheep would wander away from the rest of the flock and be devoured by another animal. That's the idea. That when you are captivated, when you are infatuated with someone else, that that is the point where you begin to wander off the path and you get devoured. And we know from First Peter, that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. And he wants to pull us off of that path. He wants to pull us off the trail. And one of the easiest ways that he does that, we've, we've talked a little bit about pornography. We've talked about um, how those romantic comedies and things uh, can affect women's brains. And that, that fantasizing and that, that picturing something different. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that there are two rooms in my house. And one room is my prayer room. It's my study. It's where I go and I spend an hour a day. I study scripture. I spend time in prayer. Uh, I spend, stu- spend time reflecting on what God is saying to me. And when I come out of that room, what am I going to be like? I'm going to be a man whose heart is pointed towards God. My desire is going to be to please God in everything that I do. I'm going to desire to serve other people, including my wife. I'm going to desire to love her unconditionally. And I'm going to give my life to serving her, to honoring God. Now I want you to imagine there's another room in my house where I spend an hour a day looking at pornography. How is my brain and my heart going to be affected when I walk out of that room? My heart is not going to be geared towards other people. It's going to be geared towards me. And it's going to say, I'm, I need something and I need it. And this is going to be all about me. All about me. Right? So you have to think about Garbage in, garbage out. What are you putting into your mind? What are you putting into your heart? And what are you putting into your brain? Because it, it affects us deeply. It affects us deeply. And we want to be people who are keeping in mind all of these things. And I want us to keep in mind Matthew 5.28. 
as we talk about adultery today, I want us to keep in mind Matthew 5.28. Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So a lot of times we think that this is just about the physical, but there's so much more. There's so much more. In fact, think about this. One of the Ten Commandments, one of actually two of the Ten Commandments deal with adultery. You shall not commit adultery, and you shall not covet. Goes on and says, do not cover, covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's husband, your neighbor's spouse. You have two commandments, and, and consider this. One of our elders pointed this out this week. Um, there's only one passage where we're told that God actually wrote with his own finger. That's when Moses was on the mountain. He received the Ten Commandments the first time. And God actually writes with his finger two out of the Ten Commandments, 20% dedicated towards not committing adultery. And then Jesus ups the game and he says, hey, it's not just the physical. It's what's taking place in your mind as well. The thoughts that you think. Where does your mind go? What kind of fantasies are you having? Is it about your spouse or is it about someone else? And here's the thing. Uh, Satan is very crafty. We know this from the beginning. Satan is very tricky. He's not just going to show up and like you men, you're not going to open the door one day and there's going to be a naked supermodel on your front door. That's not going to happen, right? Ladies, your car's not going to break down and, and like Ryan Gosling or The Rock is going to come and change your tire. Uh, and all of a sudden you're going to be tempted to sit down and have a cup of tea with these gentlemen. That's not going to happen, right? What happens is there's a little bitty baby steps. It's small things. Small little baby steps that pull us away from our spouse and towards that infidelity. Uh, in fact, we've got a little bit of an interview here to give us a behind-the-scenes glimpse of how this happens. Well, today we have uh, something a little bit unusual. We have a rare exclusive interview with Satan himself. Uh, Satan, come on in. Yeah. Yeah, what's up? How y'all doing? What's up, Chuck? Hello, America. Hey, ladies. How y'all doing? Yeah. How's it going? Hey, man. Yeah, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your honesty or lies, I should say. Oh, well, <laughs> Chuck, man, I don't really think I'm going to be too honest, but uh, I'm here. Uh, but if I want to sneak in a little honesty, I'm really just, I'm not a fan of your ministry, man. Well, the feeling's definitely mutual, so uh, uh, let's just get started. Most people would say that you are a master at destroying marriages. Oh, Chuck, you old sweet talker. <laughs> uh, you know very well that I, I pride myself in being extremely humble. I mean, I, I do like to take great pride in that, um, in my humility. So, if I had to agree with it, or, or say the descriptor of what I am, I guess, I guess I'm a master. I'll, I'll give it to you. Well, then, as the master of destroying marriages, give us a little behind-the-scenes glimpse at how you tempt one spouse to cheat on the other. You want what? You want a behind-the-scenes look? You want me to you know, peel the curtain back, give, give you the playbook, really? <laughs> Chuck, man, oh, it's bold of you. Uh, but uh, we we go way back. We used to be we used to be cool. So uh, I'll uh, I'll give you I'll give you a little secret, okay? I'll, I'll give you just a little bit. How about that? So really, where, where the infidelity starts is just finding that common interest. You know, maybe your kids go to school together, or you live on the same street. Uh, it's really just finding those avenues to share with each other where you can have that personal time together. Uh, and then from there, really 
develops into a personal bond where, you know, maybe you're telling each other about your family or, or things like that, and then uh, you really start to spend a lot of time with one another. Wow, so as you're developing that emotional connection, how do you how do you avoid the other spouse getting suspicious or jealous? Oh, man. <laughs> Chuck, I was really hoping you were going to ask this question. This is my favorite question that I get. Favorite question. Um, it really, uh, it's, it's a buzzkill, man. It's hard. Uh, the, the spouse, when they start getting wise to the, uh, you know, the, the emails that you're deleting or the, the little private phone calls that you're taking in your car, the time that you're spending with, uh, with that other person, it makes it really hard. It's the most difficult part of uh, the whole operation. Well, so you're saying that the spouse makes it hard. <laughs> well, hold on a second there, Chuck. That's what you said. I mean, I don't want to go on record just saying that. I'm just messing with you, man. Yeah, I'm messing with you, yeah. Uh, yeah, but they really do. Uh, if I'm being transparent, they, they really do make it hard. Uh, if they know what's going on, it's, it's, not, it's no good for me. <laughs> well, you haven't said anything yet about physical touch. Where does that come into play? Oh, my gosh, Chuck. I knew you would go here. Oh, my gosh. Uh, such a typical pastor, such a typical member of the church. Always want to know about where the physical touch comes in. Uh, Chuck, I, I gave you, you know, the secret code. I gave you the trick of the trade. It's all about that personal relationship and that bond. That's where it all starts. And once you have that going, uh, <laughs> it all comes down a little bit of flirting, Chuck. A little bit of maybe a little back rub. Yeah, don't do that. A little grip of the thigh. You know, you know how to flirt there, Chuck. Hey, come on, put her there. I know. I know oh, that's not going to happen. Okay. Uh, it's all not right. going to happen at all. So there's the emotional bond. There's some light, uh, inappropriate touching. Oh, yeah. You know there is. There's the inventing of reasons to get together, lying to the spouse. Oh, yes, sir. There is. Where do you go from there? Oh, man. Well, <laughs> I don't I don't want to offend anybody, Chuck. I'm trying to be a nice guest. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, so I'll, I'll put it in a way that, that makes sense to you. Uh, you guys like to call it inappropriate physical touching, I believe. Uh, and honestly, I like I like to call it having a good time. And you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I heard your sermon on Sunday. You know, talking about sex is sticky. Uh-huh, yeah. Sex is messy. Yeah, I was, I was back there. I was taking notes, man. I got all the tricks of the trade now to, to use to tear apart some marriages. I'm ready to go. Uh, well, Satan, you know, thank you for your time, and hopefully I won't be seeing you again for a while. <laughs> That's rich, Chuck, man. <laughs> Good luck with Well, that. you heard it straight from the lies of Satan. <laughs> man, Chuck. What happened to us, man? We used to be so close. We used to be best friends, y'all. Oh, it's like a funny story about Chuck in high school. I yeah, that was a long time ago. I don't want to talk about that. Okay, that's fair. I guess you do have a wife now and kids and you're a pastor of church. Things have definitely changed oh, yeah, for sure. So there you have it, a little behind-the-scenes glimpse at uh, how, how Satan works. And, you know, in the midst of a little bit of humor there, don't miss... Don't miss all the things that, that we covered in that. Let me just give you some of the eight baby steps, and if you want to write these down, eight baby steps that the enemy uses to pull us away from our, our spouse. Number one, you start to enjoy common interests together. This may be that your kids go to the same school, they're on the same team, or you just have something in common that you do together. You begin to share personal information. You begin talking about your family or your kids and letting them uh, into... Uh, details about your marriage. Then you begin to anticipate time together. Ooh, I wonder if they're going to be there tonight. I wonder if she's going to be there. I wonder if he's going to be there. And then from there, you begin to hide the relationship from your spouse. You start deleting texts and emails and phone calls from your phone log. 
You start taking phone calls in the car instead of in the house. You begin to flirt with a little minor arousing touch, you know, a little touch of the hand, a little back rub, something here and there that, that just seems innocent, uh, but there's much more to it. And then you begin to invent excuses to call or meet one another. Hey, you know what? I really need to call and ask about this thing for work. Really need to talk, and that turns into a two-hour phone conversation. Um, then you begin to deceive your spouse with your words and your actions. And then finally, the last step, the very last step is that you engage sexually. And as you can see, all of these things, all of these things, there's seven things that lead up to where we as the church have drawn the line. Like most of us would say the line is the physical contact with one another. But there's so much more that happens emotionally before that. Remember what Jesus said, if you have lusted after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. We've been drawing the line in the wrong place. We've been drawing the line in the wrong place, and we need to be thinking through where we are. Uh, and Solomon in Proverbs chapter 5 is going to give us some tools that will help us to avoid even those first baby steps. He's going to give us some tools. In verses 3 and 4, he's going to tell us this. He's going to tell us to visualize the devastation. Visualize the devastation. He says this in verse 3. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, her words are smoother than oil. In the end, she is as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to what? Say it out loud. Her feet go down to Sheol, to death. It goes down to death. And her words, uh, her, her feet go down to death and her, her steps head straight for Sheol. Right? Her feet go to death. He's saying to visualize the devastation. When, whenever you begin to fantasize about that person or what you could be, be missing out on, I want you next time to fantasize about the devastation that could come to your life if you were to travel down that path, if you were to be misled. The romance, the sex. And instead, stop and take a second to think about what it would do to you and to your family for just those brief moments of pleasure. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but I know that I sure have. And I can tell you for me, when I visualize if, if that were to happen in my life, what would happen is this. Number one, there would come a day when I would stand before God and I would have to give an account for everything that I've done, including that moment. And to me, that would be the worst moment that I could ever possibly imagine. Second only to this, the woman that I have loved for the last 17 years that we've been married for the last 13 and a half years would be completely devastated. A woman who has dedicated her life for the last 13 and a half years to walking beside me, uh, to serving in ministry, to pursuing a common vision of reaching every man, woman, and child, I would let her down. I would break her heart. I would put our marriage at risk. Not to mention the number of people who love my wife more than me who would then come after me uh, and probably end my life very shortly. Not only that, but I think about my kids. I think about my kids, and I think about what it would look like for them. How would they view me, someone who looks up to me, that I'm their superhero? And my boys, what kind of example am I setting for my boys? What kind of men would my daughters end up with after having a dad who had done that? Where would that put me? Not only that, but I have uh, hundreds of people that God has blessed me with the opportunity to minister to over, 
over the 12 years, 13 years that I've been in, in ministry, 14 years now, excuse me, uh, that I've been in ministry, and there would be a number of them who would say, you know what, we believed this guy, we listened to this guy, we thought he was telling us the truth, and then he goes and does something like this, I'm done, I'm out. Forget this whole God thing, I'm done. The ministry that God has blessed me with here at this church would be gone. I assure you the elders would make sure of it. I would be gone. And I would lose the opportunity to be used by God to speak into people's lives on a regular basis. For what? For what? Visualize the devastation. Consider everything. Consider everything. Because here's the thing. No one plans on it. When I asked that question earlier, how many of you plan on committing adultery? Not a single person raised their hand. No one plans on it. No one plans on it. So we have to be prepared for when those temptations come. The second thing we're going to see is this, that we need to shield our marriage. We need to shield our marriage. In verse 8, he says, Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Stay as far away from it as you possibly can. If you even think you, you're being tempted in that direction, run. Go back to what we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. Run from sexual immorality. Get away from it as far as you can. Now, uh, when I was growing up, Indiana Jones was one of my heroes. And I think it, it's possibly because I, I remember when I was real little, I was taking some prescription medicine, and the doctors told my parents, like, one of the side effects was it gives you bad dreams. I don't know what that medicine is, but um, it was some antibiotic that, like, one of the side effects was it messed with your, your like, it would give you nightmares. And so my parents let me watch Indiana Jones, uh, and then there's that scene where he falls in the pit. And so for, like, the next five nights, guess what I dreamed about? Snakes in a pit. And so, like, I, I'm not terrified of snakes, but I don't like them. I hate snakes. Uh, I, I hate them. And there was a time when I was 15 years old, I was in the Boy Scouts, we were backpacking through New Mexico, Uh, it was a 10-day trek, 120 miles in 10 days, and so, you know, you carry everything with you, I've got this 65-pound pack, and it was my turn to be up front, I was navigating, you know, I had the compass and everything, making sure we got to where we're going, and, you know, we, we were coming out of this forested area into a, like, just this beautiful opening, um, and you could start to see the mountains around you, and there's, it's just a, a beautiful picture. And so I'm walking along with my pack, and I hate snakes, right? I, have I said that? I hate snakes. So I'm walking along and not really paying attention to where I'm going because it's a pretty smooth path. Well, then I look down, and my foot is like this, and underneath my foot I can see the back end of a snake sticking out. And I hate snakes. So I did what any rational person would do. I jumped about 15 feet in the air, I said words that are not allowed to be said on a Sunday morning, and I began running backwards away until the scoutmaster grabbed me, and he's like, what's wrong? Everybody thought I'd been bit. They thought I'd been hurt. They thought something happened. And all I said was, there's a snake up there, and everybody's like freaking out like there's a snake, right? So my scoutmaster goes over, and here's what I pictured. I envisioned, you know, some sort of of rattlesnake back there, uh, something like this. You know, I didn't know. I didn't stick around long enough to figure it out. Like, I, I was looking at it, and then... This is what I envisioned in my head. This was what was going to happen to me. This very next picture right here. Uh, this is a snake, and that's a person. Like, that's, in my mind, this is what was going to happen to me. That's not a real picture. It's fake, by the way. It's Photoshop. But, like, this snake was going to swallow me, and I was just going to be sitting inside of the snake. But as my scoutmaster walked up to see what the real problem was, um, this is what we found. Um, 
Apparently, the snake was completely stretched out underneath my foot, uh, and it was only about three inches long, uh, but it was enough to scare me. But I was not going to stick around long enough to find out how big that snake was, because I knew that snake could bite me, that snake could kill me. I just didn't trust it, right? The exact same thing has to happen for us with, with sexual temptation, that we have to run away from it. We have to not be tempted down that path of shagah, ravah or shagah. Are you going to be ravah, satisfied with your spouse, or shagah, led off the path and devoured? Which one are you going to do? We have to shield our marriages. You have to shield our marriages against this idea that you can't do that. Let me give you, real quick, just some practical ways to shield your marriage. I want to give you three nevers, and then I want to give you three always. Right? So you can write these down. Find an empty spot on your bulletin and write these down. Number one, never be alone with the opposite sex. Never be alone with the opposite sex, okay? Uh, Here at River Rock Bible Church, we have a very strict policy on this, uh, that our staff members, we are never alone with someone of the opposite sex. I never counsel alone. A lot of times if I do have to take a meeting with a woman that's going to be one-on-one, it's at Chianfrani Coffee Shop, and I call Stephen, or I have my wife there. I have someone else there present in the room, right? They're not next to us. They're not hearing our conversation, but they are there to make sure that what, whatever happens is what needs to happen and nothing more. That I'm protected, that she's protected, that we're protected. And here's the thing, is the same people that would say, yeah, that's a really good idea for, for a church staff member, that they're never alone with someone of the opposite sex, are the same people who will go and sit down and have a business lunch with one of their colleagues of the opposite sex. And even if there's nothing going on there, just think for a moment about how that looks and how someone else might perceive that and then view your marriage. Just think for just a second about that. And, and it blows my mind the number of companies out there who say they care about their employees, yet they'll send a, a man and woman who aren't married to each other off on a plane ride uh, to another city, sitting next to each other on the plane and then having hotel rooms in the same hotel um, with possibly adjoining rooms. Like, that's, that's just ridiculous. How close to that snake do you want to get? Like, I don't want to get close to the rattlesnake. I don't want to get close to something that's going to bite me or devour me. I'm going to flee from that, right? So never be alone with the opposite sex. Never discuss your marriage with the opposite sex, good or bad. There's no one that, of the opposite sex that you need to be discussing your marriage with. You sh- men, you should have other men that you can talk about your marriage with. And ladies, you should have other ladies that you can talk about your marriage with. But you never sit down and discuss your marriage with someone of the opposite sex. Number three, never hang around the wrong environments. Never hang around the wrong environments. And I don't know what that is for you. For some of you, it may be going out for a drink after work. Uh, maybe going to, to a bar. Maybe going to a certain restaurant. Um, for others of you, it may be your workplace. Maybe your workplace doesn't have any filters on what you can look at on the Internet. And you either need to find a way to get that filtered or find a, a new place to work. Maybe it's your Internet at home. Maybe you have... Uh, or especially with, with teenagers, moms and dads, don't ever let your kids have a TV or a computer in their room. Like, what do you need to do with a computer in your room that you can't do in the living room? Computer belongs out where everybody can see what's going on, where everybody knows and sees what's happening, right? Just 13 years in youth ministry. And a lot of stuff can happen there. So let's talk about the always. Always nurture your relationship with Christ, number one, first and foremost. You want to have a strong, hot marriage? 
Nurture your relationship with Christ. Learn how to serve one another. Learn how to give towards one another. Number two, always keep accountability. Always keep accountability. Men, this means you need other men in your life who are asking you, what are you looking at on your computer? Who are you talking to at work? How is your relationship with your wife? When's the last time you had a date? When's the last time you guys were intimate together? When's the last time you did something nice for her? When's the last time you served her without expecting anything in return? Ladies, you need women in your life who are going to ask you those same questions. Ask you the exact same questions. And then number three, always water your own grass. Always water your own grass. Invest in your marriage. And I can't tell you how many times I've done marriage counseling or I get calls from people who say, hey, we're getting a divorce because I love him, but we're just not in love anymore. Like, we're just not in love anymore. Anybody ever heard that before? Well, here's an idea. Why don't you do all the things that you used to do to fall in love again? When did you stop doing all those things that you did when you were falling in love? When did you stop bringing her flowers? Gentlemen, how awesome would it be if you, like, shaved and did your hair, put an extra splash of cologne on just for your wife, right? Do something a little bit special, you've got to water your own grass. I expect on October 5th, men, every single one of you, hey, honey, Proverbs five nineteen, right? Send her that little text. Flirt with your wife. Be there with her. Ladies, same thing. You know, invest in your husband. Invest in that relationship with your husband. And be willing to, to make those times together. Turn off the television and talk to one another. Talk to one another, Right? Here's the thing. Uh, we did some ads a couple weeks ago leading up to our anniversary and grand opening, and Facebook tracks like when people are looking at those ads, uh, and I can guarantee you none of you are having sex between 9 and 10 o'clock because you're on Facebook looking at our ads. Put down the Facebook and be intimate with your spouse. Talk with them. Get along with them. Can I get, you guys are a bunch of prudes. Can I get an amen somewhere in the room? Like your pastor is telling you to be intimate with your spouse. Here's an idea. We talked about the annual abandon in our marriage, our marriage series that we did a while ago. Take a weekend away. Ladies, how, how soon would your husband have the car packed if you said, I want us to go away. I don't care what the hotel's like because we're not going to be leaving the room. I just want to make love to you this weekend, right? That car would be packed before you finish that sentence. Like, just spend some time, you know, confessing with one another, saying, here's where I've messed up. Here's where I've been wrong. Here's where I want to do better. And, and, and then get naked. Still no amens. Like, we have got to work on this, church. Where's my amen corner? Like, we're married. We can do this. This is a good thing. This is a beautiful thing. Remember, we talked last week about sex is sticky, and that's a good thing. It bonds you to your spouse. It unites you with your spouse. That's the way God designed it. It strengthens your relationship. It strengthens your relationship. Now, what do we do? We, we, we're talking about protecting our marriage. We're talking about shielding our marriage. So what do we do if we've already messed up? And this is the last thing I want us to see is that when we've messed up in this area, maybe we've, our eyes have gone somewhere on the internet they're spot, not supposed to go. Our hearts have gone somewhere emotionally that it's not supposed to go. Perhaps we've even crossed the line physically. Here's what you need to keep in mind is that God is faithful even when we are not. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Second Timothy tells us that when we are faithless, God is faithful. God is always there. God is there waiting for us to repent and to turn to him, to change our minds about our sins and to turn back to him. 
if we've stepped over the line, we just need to understand that there may be devastation and destruction, but God is not waiting to strike you down. He's waiting to turn your heart back to him, to bring you back into a relationship with him. In fact, Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 17 says this, it says, and now brothers, I know that what you did in ignorance, uh, excuse me, uh, it says, but verse 18, but what God predicted through the mouth, uh, verse 19 going on, it says, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and turn back, that your sins may be wiped out, and a season of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And you may be here this morning, and you may need a season of refreshing. You may need to go home to your spouse and have some difficult conversations, but you need to have that season of refreshing. Let your heart turn back to God. Turn back to Him. Shavah, Raga, or Shavah? Which one is it going to be? Are you going to be satisfied in what God has given you? Because here's the thing, uh, Raga, if you, when you commit adultery, whether it's physical or in your mind or in your heart, whatever it is, you're saying, not only to your spouse that you're not enough for me, but you're saying to God, you haven't given me enough. What you've given me is not good enough. Neither of those are good things. Neither of those are good things. You're not only rejecting your spouse, but you're rejecting God himself and what he has given you. Are you going to be satisfied or are you going to wander off the path and be eaten, be devoured? Now again, some of you may have already wandered off that path and I want you to know that there is restoration that can take place, that God can bring healing. If God can raise his son Jesus from the dead, I believe that God can raise dead marriages. I believe that. The reality is this. Scripture tells us that every single one of us has wandered off the path, whether it's sexually or somewhere else. Every single one of us has a need to turn back towards God, to have that season of refreshing. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it is sexually. Maybe it's something else. But I would encourage you to take some time this week to pray through what is it, God, that I need to to repent of, to confess to you, and to turn back to you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for those that are here this morning.